Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. This is Paul Hawksby. And Andy Jacobs. And this is the H&J Daily, featuring some of the best bits of this afternoon's show. Well, we had some fine studio guests for you today. Steve Morrison came in, yeah. former Millwall Wales striker and Cardiff City manager. He's taken a job in non-league and he told us why he has uh, moved to Hornchurch. was very interested in the role of getting back into football when you lose your job as a manager. Uh, from the world of rugby, Freddie Burns was here. Yeah. Again, fascinating stuff from Freddie about why he's decided to return to players rugby in Japan at the moment, the former England fly half. Stan Collymore yeah. uh, was fascinating on Very the subject of Delhi Alley's yeah, chat with Gary Neville and brought a lot of interesting points to that. Um, and Martin Kelner had a week of sport on TV. We had a chat. We did. Here it all is. <laughs> Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Andy. Good afternoon, Paul. I know there's nothing on telly at the moment talking about Mike Ward because I watched Britain's Best Beach Huts last night. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? Oh, yeah. It was actually rather good, but that's not the point. It's been a long series. You've got to now go back and watch the whole series. Yeah, I've seen the whole series. Oh, yeah, so you've been, okay, you've been oh, watching yes, them all. I've been addicted to it. Uh, been Mike, three. Mike Ward didn't join us last week, uh, Brighton supporting yeah. uh, Daily Star TV reviewer, because he said there's absolutely nothing to talk about. Well, oh, that yeah. call may be still coming in this afternoon. <laughs> Ali Ross's column today was just basically about one show. Yeah, well, he's, he about admits fertility, male fertility. There's not a lot. Uh, there's not a lot out there at the moment. It's quite Wimbledon mm. heavy, isn't it? Really, and uh, mm. repeats. But anyway, look, I'm sure we'll, we'll unearth something because if you don't like tennis. You're probably going to want to watch something else until the Women's World Cup starts next week. I've got news of a first world problem for Jensen Button's wife. Oh, OK, yeah. Yes, uh, apparently her Birkin handbag, which uh, they're about seven and a half grand, these things. The Birkin? The Birkin. I've never seen the Birkin handbag, Andy. What, how are you spelling Birkin? I'm going to B-I-R-K-I-N. I think it's named after the famous actress Jane Birkin. Oh, OK. Birkin handbag. Jutem fame. Oh, yeah. Uh, so blimey, I mean, yeah! You can you can pay, spend up to three hundred and forty grand on them. There was a that's one here. Was just, um, the Hermes uh, Birkin bag? Mm. Um, it's used and it's forty one thousand pounds. Oh yeah, not no, even absolutely. new. Hers is only this is only a seven and a half grand one. But she oh, was, okay, fair enough. She posted on Instagram uh, at British Airways: "Your inoperable business class seat smashed, scratched my Birkin and caused mega damage. Oh no! Causing causing the value to plummet. Talk about first world problem. Yeah. Oh, the humanity!" Yeah. <laughs> 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 got a scratch on me Birkin. I've got a thing about people. You got a scratch who, on your Birkin, Andy? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen who, you in the corner. People who complain, you know, publicly on Twitter mm. and name the company, you know, and think, oh, girl. Gonna, so uh, I don't think they're going to buy her a new one. I don't think they will, actually. They I may take it right. into their shop. 
It would be <laughs> Take it into their shop and see if they can repair the scratch. Yeah, we'll give it a try. I've, I've got a story for you. This is a corker. Oh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to lead to uh, anything today. Uh, a thief was caught. This is from the Metro uh, Free Newspaper. Oh, I know, I know thief was caught on about. CCTV sticking two £425 <laughs> golf clubs down his trouser leg yeah. before comically limping out of the shop. <laughs> um, the standard of crooks today has really gone downhill, said yeah. Ferndown Forest Golf Course. Just needs the Benny Hill tune over the top of it. The Dorset Club said a man and his accomplice... Uh, were found and the clubs returned. But Honestly. you know, walking very, got a very straight. <laughs> Who leg thought that walk. was going to work? I tell you what, it's surefire. <laughs> Pop in the the pro shop, a couple of golf clubs, a couple of woods down the old kecks, <laughs> and then just wander out very straight. See leg. if anybody notices. Yeah, just oh, that's an interesting style <laughs> of walking. <laughs> yeah. you'll be delighted to know mm. it's the Cheltenham Music Festival. Oh, so, yeah, TalkSport have gone down there en masse, as they always do. Yeah. Alan's in the choral box. Uh, oh, oh that, come, come on. on. That's it. That is it. Oh, no, I don't often applaud you. <laughs> uh, yeah. As you walk in, you hear Gilbert O'Sullivan on the PA. Yes, oh, OK, yeah. yeah, yeah, rather than and Peter. you can stay at John gonna... Joe Loss's yard. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to get more obscure. <laughs> OK. So, uh, I'll throw that open. Yeah, because was it? What the was Cheltenham the, Music Festival? Because they had the Cheltenham Science Fest, Festival mm. the other week, and we, we imagined a situation where Alan and Ray Parler, Alan Brazil and Ray Parler, had got it wrong. They said, "We're going to send. We want to go to Cheltenham for the festival." So they send them to the Science Festival, and uh, Ray said, "I fill out my depth out. I'm not sure about this." So what about the mu- music festival? Is there stuff there that uh, Alan and Ray? Could get stuck into that would be quite good. Joining us very shortly is the Sound Voice Music Project. Oh, I love them, Al. That'd be good. With and then don't forget, just we've got the Mishmash Ensemble and the Scottish uh, Ensemble will be joining us as well. So yeah, it'd be uh, it'd be an interesting. I think show, it'd be good. It? I've decided. Last night I was watching a bit of Sky Sports News and the uh, the banner came across and it says. Uh, West Ham assured the paperwork for the transfer of Declan Rice to Arsenal will be finalised tomorrow. And I think I really love the stages of a transfer. I've, yeah. I've broken it down. This, uh, he's linked with a club. He's agreed terms. The clubs are talking. Offers have made. Offers have been rejected, then accepted. Then the manager denies it. Then he's leaving us. Um, then you see him leaving the training ground. Then you see him arriving at the airport. <laughs> Then you see him uh, basically signing. Yeah. Then you see the first training session. And you think, so all of it's nonsense except the actual signing. I've decided it all should be banned, which would leave us with a bit of a hole at banned. this time of year. I wouldn't be saying that on <laughs> National Sports leave Radio. Leave longer with Lisa. When there's not much going on. Yeah, poor old Lisa, she'd be working true, three hours, three mad, hours during the show. West, well, no, we love West it. West Ham assured the paperwork I love it. will be ready. Oh, we all sake. love it, Andy. I mean, I said you were a hypocrite the well, other day. I only day. love it when we sign something. You've, I can't stand well, all the, the, can't, I can't stand you, all the stuff. You can't have your cake and eat it. Along with the signings, there has to be a little rain sometime. I believe, as the song goes. So you do have to put up with some of that sort of nonsense. But we all will have a transfer story. We're desperate. I mean, even I, I sort of sit there occasionally scrolling through social media or looking at talksport.com. I do it about a thousand times a well, day. Well, exactly. So you're saying it should be banned. But where would know, your life be? It would be void My life would be better time. is what it would be. Now, um, this great picture emerged today. Lionel Messi's been in um, Miami for a few days. Maybe one of the advantages of living there. I mean, you know, he is. No a one gl- knows who he is. Yeah. Yeah, he is a global star, but there's a pretty good chance he can go out into... The Especially sort of, in Miami. Yeah. You know, so, different in look, New York or There will like be that. people that will know him, undoubtedly, but it's not like him wandering around Buenos Aires or, you know, or London or yeah, anywhere like that. Bizarre, um, yeah. So there he is doing his shopping, doing his food shop. 
um, in one of the uh, in one of the stores there, supermarkets there. It's good he does his own, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah, why? Well, and you think he'd get it ordered in? He probably just fancied a little shop. He just moved in, yeah. go and get a shop. So man to do that, we were interested in tales of um, spotting the stars and maybe having a chat with the stars in a place where nobody knows who they are. So you may have been abroad. This is why a lot of mm. uh, Premier League footballers, and it's getting more in, uh, difficult this because of the, the nature of the Premier League and the global outreach and stuff, but a lot of them do go to the States on holidays mm. simply because they can have a wander about a bit. and yeah. they can Apart from be, the paparazzi, they can have a good time. They can be relatively normal in those parts of the world without being spotted. So if you've spotted the stars in a place where they thought no one would spot them, uh, do tell us your stories. If you want um, bad sporting thievery to match the golf clubs down the trousers, we'll take some of those as well, although that may be not quite as rich a seam, I guess. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Some of these are coming through funny. Do they have Chel- Do they have music in Cheltenham Ray? music in Cheltenham Ray, yeah. <laughs> and put your name, that's very funny. Once bumped into PC Jim Carver from the Bill in a woodland area in a festival on the Isle of Wight, said Justin in Ferrum. Well, I think they did... a good did... name for a woodland festival. Yeah, I think... I think um, they probably had the bill on the Isle of Wight. It's not that far off the mainland, no. <laughs> so it's not like he wouldn't have been recognised anywhere else. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Uh, joining us now in the studio is the former Millwall striker and Cardiff City uh, manager, Steve Morrison. Hi, Steve. How are you? Afternoon. I'm good, you? Good. Yeah, yeah. we're not too bad. Good, Thank good. you. You're, you're back in uh, management at Hornchurch FC uh, yes. in the Ishmian League. I think it took a few people by surprise. So what was the process that took you there? Um, I've just been out of the game for a long time. So obviously when I left Cardiff, um, it was a long eight months. Um, I had a few conversations, nothing really happened. And it got to the new season or coming up to the new season. And uh, yeah, had a conversation with, with the owner via uh, someone I knew and... Um, yeah, it was it was a really exciting opportunity, and it was one of those. It was like, do you sit there all pre-season and hmm. and wait and hope something comes on? Uh, but for me, I just loved the game, so it was more of a case of just I wanted to be out on the grass as soon as possible and uh, do some coaching. If we can win along the way, then great. So um, yeah, opportunity come along with. Uh, um, so yeah, it was when I jumped at it in the end. Did you? So I was going to say, did you? You obviously enjoyed that Cardiff experience, being the main man in charge of the club. I mean, you wanted to, a bit bruising at times, I guess. But um, you enjoyed management. That's why you want to get back in. Yeah, of course. Look, it's not just the management. It's 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 all I've known for twenty odd years. So mm. you're on the grass every day. You're playing football, and then you step over that line. You go into coaching, and you don't know where your path's going to take you within the coaching. There's certain sides of the game you like more than others. Um, I found when doing my badges that I liked the pro license more than I liked the B and the A, right. just because it was more coaching based and it was less um, organisational stuff and uh, planning, which is something that I really enjoy. So, um, yeah, the management and the lead role kind of uh, came quite naturally. So uh, it's something I enjoyed. And as I said the Cardiff experience was the Cardiff experience. And uh, um yeah, it was a, it was an odd summer with uh, with this year. Sorry, with uh, obviously what happened last year. Obviously having to make all the changes and then mm. going back in and losing my job so quickly. Um, <clears throat> and then you get the phone call. Uh, what was it? About three, four weeks after the season, saying, "Did you want your job back?" So it was a a real <laughs> a real interesting uh, situation. So um, obviously that didn't materialise and. Um, yeah, it all just kind of fell into place for me to get back into football with Hornchurch, and it's one that I 
thank the owner for Alan very much, Alex and very much. We're hearing a lot lately, especially in like Delhi Alley, about players' mental health and stuff like that. So when you do your licenses, is that part of it now, dealing with the players as human beings, you know, rather than in the old school way of dealing with players? Um, I think society's changing, so we have to. Mm. Um, gone are the days of standing there ranting and raving in the dressing room, what I'll have been brought up on. <laughs> um, in your coaching badges, you're not really... I think they're bringing it in more. So I completed my pro license in 2019. So it still wasn't talked about as much as it is now. And that's getting more and more and more. Mm. Um, yeah, look, the mental side of it, the mental health side of it is is huge. And I found as a player, um, the especially playing for a club like Millwall and Leeds, so big clubs, big expectations from fan bases. I can't believe how many players you see come, fail, go somewhere else and succeed mm. because it's the pressure and it's the mental side of it. There hasn't been a football club that I've been at when I played that had um, a psychologist working for the club. The first time I come across it was when I, uh, when I played for Wales. It was something that Gary Speed brought in because obviously, which is a, a, a big thing for him. And it was the first time I come across it and it was something that uh, I then uh, come across at Norwich when we was in the Premier League. And that was my first involvement in it, and I couldn't believe how powerful it was. Mm. Understanding your own, your own mind, your own thoughts, trying to control them, having coping mechanisms, um, and it's a huge part of the game. And I think it's one that, obviously, when I was out of the game over these last eight months, that's been my biggest, my biggest side of it. Has yeah. been the mental side of it because I said I know it's tragic, but obviously John Berylson passed in the other day. Mm. Um, from within the football fraternity. There's only a few people that pick the phone up and, and him being one of them, making sure you're okay, checking mm. apart from the people close to you. So um, you're easily forgotten about very, yeah. very quickly. And I think that's the problem with football. That's, yeah, that's interesting, Steve, because as you said, you know, you wanted to get back in and you've made a few people have been surprised. You know, you're managing in the championship, now you're managing in the Ishmael League. But for your sort of mental health, your well-being, you need to be involved. You need, as you said, you need to be out on the grass. You need to be busy, um, and that's as important, isn't it? Really? Yeah, hundred percent. And um, I look back on it when I when I when I made the decision. Um, no different to my football career. My football career yeah. was exactly the same. I started in the league. Um, Got released, got back in the league, got released, and then you had went a proper back. job when you were playing the Bishop Storm. Yes, yeah, so I, yeah, so I was, I was um, doing what the guys I'm working with are doing now. Uh, some of them got better jobs than what I had, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, it's, it is what it is, and and now it's a chance for me to um, say rebrand myself. It's not, that's not the right word, but just kind of re rediscover my confidence, hmm. um, my my uh, my belief in in what I believe, and um, yeah. Can we go and win some some football matches? It's a great opportunity. A team that obviously missed out on promotion the last two years very very closely. Can I can I make a few changes from a professional point of view? Bring some new ideas and try and get them over the line. And uh, mm. yeah, it's been great. I've I've, I've done it. And um, yeah, the the um, the support and the people who have wanted to come and join um, us and come and play for Hornchurch has been great. And um, yeah, we've 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 signed some. Uh, uh, some talented boys and uh, yeah, hopefully we can just go that one step further. It's a big year for the club, isn't it? It's their centenary. Yes, yeah, yeah, and they're playing in blue, so they're going from red to blue. So, uh, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, so... Oh, uh, Cardiff all over again. Yeah, got, the oh, other way is, that, <laughs> is that a throwback thing? Is that what they used to originally yeah, play? Yeah, that's what they yeah, played okay. in, yeah, yeah. So, no, it, as I said, it's really exciting and for, for me, it's just, as you said, enjoying yourself, have a smile on your face, go out there and, 
and do it. And uh, um, it's great being being at home. I've I've done loads of things that I hadn't done previously. Um, been at every event my my son's had rather than being away from that mm. and uh, uh, all that kind of stuff's been great. But um, as you said, you want to be busy. Your mind wants to keep going. You want to be working towards stuff and uh, you want to be on the train on the way down and thinking about the team for tomorrow rather than um, than not. And you want to be on a, mm. on a football pitch at three o'clock in the afternoon. Is getting back in difficult? As I said, you know, you were managing in the championship. So is, is it a frustrating process? Do you find, you know, we've heard from lots of managers, mm. many with respect have had years and years more mm. experience than you. And they don't even get replies from some clubs when they apply for jobs, you know, which is feels wrong, really. It's the tr- it's it's the truth, and I think it goes back to what we said about the um, people forgetting about you. There is a very lack of um, humanity to it sometimes. Mm. Like you, you get you get someone who will kind of um, come back to you straight away, thinks we'll be in touch, um, and then obviously that's just maybe uh, a tick boxing exercise, and then they don't get in touch. And then you just, from a frustrating point of view, more from a manager trying to get back in, is you kind of, it's, it seems to, it still seems to be the merry and the merry go round that's trying to break into that mm. and trying to get on it and trying to be successful and get opportunities. Um, obviously, they always say the first one's the tough one. Um, you kind of get the first one, and mm. I found the second one's been the the really tough one. The opportunity to get that that chance again. Um, you have conversations, you get close to things, or you think you're close, and then they go a different way and. Um, a couple of those that I thought I was close to, I didn't get. They ended up sacking both the managers within within three or four months of because uh, yeah. they weren't successful. So you, and then that frustrates you more. Cause you're like, oh, I'd have done, I'd have done better than that because I just think I would have done it. You got to believe in yourself. You got to believe in yourself. You. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's just, a, it's just a frustrating one. It's, it's just you get opportunities. I said then the Cardiff one, get a phone call, and um, then they appoint another manager without a phone call back to say. Well, no, we're not going. Yeah, because that's way, the last so. thing I read on the sort of Wales newspapers. They said their stories that uh, Steve Morrison could be coming back, and then they go in a different direction, and it all goes a bit quiet. So yeah, and then I've said from your point of view, you, you don't, as a person, you kind of you have that conversation, and then you don't get the convers- the second conversation to say, oh no, we're going to go this way. Which, if someone does that, you kind of just go, well, fair enough. Thanks yeah. for letting me know. And nothing else clearly, Steve, scratches that itch like football from your point of view. Um, there isn't anything you've done outside of football you think, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll do something different, I'll go down that route. Because, I mean, there are other options, but it's still coaching, it's still football that, that does it for yeah, you. Yeah, I think, I think you have to, you're trying to have to, you have to add to your knowledge because ultimately um, when you've only done football, all the qualifications I've got is in football. Yeah. So yeah. unless someone kind of takes a punt on you in terms of like managing something else and 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 um, working in a school or something like that, but then most of these is you have to do, uh, you have to have some kind of education experience and it all comes down to experience. So, uh, yeah, so I'm on the uh, League Managers um, Association um, diploma in mm-hmm. football management. So that will give you a chance to go and get like a master's or a bachelor's degree etc so then you can kind of look further afield you look at the universities in america they're great to get a part of but you need to mm. have some form of degree so those people who have gone off and done that stuff so is that support good do you find pfa and LMA, pfa and lma they, excellent they've been good excellent sort of backing yeah. you up they're the ones they contact you they ask if you're okay they offer you support they they still do everything that you would do whether you're in a job or not in a job so mm. that's great that's great for my personal that's point good. Of i see the uh, last pre-season game should be live it's again mill Yes, yeah. Well, it was it was uh, it was quite sad actually because it was it literally we were talking about it on the Monday and then obviously the John, yeah, John died on the Tuesday and then it was kind of like, well, what do we do about it? And 
yeah, the twenty ones they needed a game. So uh, and our our last uh, pre season game got kiboshed because they went and um, they got to play in the FA Cup preliminary round. So um, yeah, it just worked that well. So it'd be quite nice. with Dagenham at the weekend then. Then um, Mill to finish, that'd be nice. Yeah. You, you mentioned John Berylson here, and uh, we spoke to Phil Clark from the Supporters Trust when he died. I mean, the, the outpouring of love for him from ex-players, from other chairmen, from mm. other clubs, from from the fan base. It's rare you get a relationship like that with with a chairman and owner of a club, isn't it? I mean, what what was it about him? You found? I mean, you've already touched on it. He was the one person that was phoning you up and seeing if you were okay. Yeah, it was it was really difficult. I, ca- I came on um, the night he passed, and uh, I did. I did ten minutes, and that was that was tough, but was okay because it obviously hadn't really sunk in properly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I actually went and and to the stadium last Friday, and I signed the the book of condolences, and I did a piece, and oh, I, I went, I completely broke down when I was there. <laughs> I had to stop the interview because I was just when you're talking about him and you kind of all the things you go through. Um, he was just a really good human being, and I think he. he, he <sighs> What people don't understand about him, and if if he for a busy man, for a guy that's doing a hell of a lot outside mm. of football, um, but when he picks the phone up, it's not two minutes or or a minute or thirty seconds or five minutes. You're, it's an hour, and you're going through everything, and you're talking, mm. and you could talk about. You can go from talking about something fifty years ago, where he's telling you a story, to mm. what's happening present. And uh, yeah, he, like, he was just really good. He was just one of these people. I said when I. When I got the job, he's he texts me the next day or that night to say, "Now go and now's your chance to to go." But he doesn't have to doesn't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. He's the owner of a football club. I was just a player who played there <laughs> and left. But it's not how he he saw it, and um, um, he he helped me and I, he he tried to get me back in as 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 much as everyone else. Like he made phone calls on my behalf and stuff. That like he doesn't have to do things like that. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah. No, he was just a really good guy. Really Brilliant, Steve. Well, look, we, we will catch up with you during the season. We hope it works yeah. out well yep. at Horn Church, and we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on uh, on your results and stuff, and hopefully catch up with you soon. Good to see Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take much care. That's Steve Morrison, the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. 
The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. I did ask you with Lionel Messi spotted doing his shopping in Miami because although he is a bit of a global superstar, it's a pretty good chance in some sort of supermarket in Miami. No one's expecting him to see him. Publix. Uh, yeah, is that where it was? I don't know. That's the name of the supermarket. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. they're around the country. So um, uh, we wondered if you've met the stars in places where they normally wouldn't be recognised. I was on holiday with my family in San Francisco in 2010. I watched Spain lift the World Cup over there, and a few days later I was on the same Alcatraz tour as Ike Casillas. Wow. I was the only person on the tour that recognised him and got a picture, but of course the minute I did, all the Americans wanted to know who he was, and uh, it turned into a bit of a bum fight. But thank you very much for that. That can happen. Another one uh, was in one of the Disney water parks a few years ago, says Andy from Wales. And me and a mate were looking at this guy for a while thinking he looks familiar and, and realised it was Chris Kirkland. Uh, it was a regular on the station, mm. of course. He was more than happy to have a chat. But again, I think players over the years have just decided it's, you know, go places where you can't be spotted. So if you've spotted the stars, maybe had a chat in places where they wouldn't normally get recognised. Isaac, the Chelsea fan, said, uh, Emmerich Laporta in an all-inclusive uh, hotel in Tenerife. No one recognised him because they were all British OAPs. He was even wearing a Manchester City training top. <laughs> Strange place for him to go. So do let us know. Talksport.com uh, forward slash H and J. Text to eight ten eighty nine or tweet to T S H and J. Well, um, um, I'm taking in the game tomorrow myself and the producer. Um, we're off to watch Farnborough play Wildston. It's not a fixture I would uh, mm. generally attend, but it's uh, a memorial game for our good friend uh, Andy Smart, a comedian, ball runner, comedy store player, and as we always used to say, Farnborough fan and indeed commentator on their uh, in-house channel. Uh, they're going to be raising money for Crisis, which was a charity close to... Andy's heart. We often spoke to him on the show mm. around crisis at Christmas. I'm, I, I'm talking in the past tense because some of you may not know. He was a regular on the station, but he sadly passed away uh, last month. Um, so, yeah, it'll all be about Andy and about crisis uh, tomorrow around this friendly. They'll be raising money for the charity. Let's have a chat with Simon Gardner, the chairman of Farnborough FC. Hey, Simon. Uh, good afternoon. How are we doing? Okay. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, we're good. Thank you. It's interesting listening to Steve talking about John Berylson and. And like some people that they pass away, you you still kind of think they're always going to be there. And you, you, Andy and I were both saying, you know, I'd look at pictures of Andy and I think, oh, we'll see him soon. We'll get mm. together. It's like, it, it, it's a bit, it's yeah, all it's a bit. It's hard to believe. It's all a bit raw, isn't it? It, it most certainly is. I was at the ground today and uh, we've done some work and we've improved the commentary booth. Uh, and as, um, well, people might not know, the people that obviously weren't didn't attend his funeral. We are going to name the comment, uh, commentary booth. It's going to be called the Andy Smart Commentary Booth. And I went there today just to make sure we put a little plaque up um, in honour of a memory of Andy. And it simply says, in memory of Andy Smart, and then beneath it, it says, because I love this place. Yeah. And that's mm. it. Yeah, so you did. We think you'd like it, so... He did. We often got him on, you know. I mean, when he came on to talk about other stuff, you know, he'd, we'd say, our Farnborough getting on, Andy? And then he'd, he'd, he'd say, oh, yeah, he's all gold. Yeah, you sometimes they're driving mad. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> under, I'm sure it does everybody, you know, at times. If you're a proper fan, that's that's what it that's what it's like. But he was a massive fan, travelled around the country watching you play, didn't he? He most certainly did. He was at every every game, every home game, every away game. We watched the game against Taunton on Tuesday night. Then we had the sort of three hour drive home, and he he, he was he was always there. He, Andy, I would like to say, he was farmer because everybody knew Andy. Everybody spoke to Andy. He always had a smile on his face, even in the bad times. 
when we when we went for a period where we didn't win, I'm, I'm pretty sure we mentioned this on the radio for 18 months in the away game. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, uh, I had a cigar that was <laughs> bought from uh, to me from Cuba, and I had to wait 18 months before I could smoke it. Uh, I said, I'm not going to light it up until we win an away game, and we ended up winning it, and we celebrated as if we won the. A cup final, basically, because the other team didn't really understand what it actually meant to us. But um, no, Andy, Andy is going to be a big, big miss. Um, his smiling face, his uh, charisma, um, his character um, at every game, and obviously, uh, he did like to uh, um, have a drink and something to eat at the, at the at the club. So every everybody from the club, from the top to the bottom, is going to miss Andy. Yeah. So I, I just think. Um, being chairman of a football club like this, um, the one thing that we've looked at doing is incorporating the community and the supporters in very much into the football club. I am the chairman of Farmer Football Club, but I believe the football club always belongs to the supporters. Yeah. So therefore, as a football club, we have to do our best to remember the supporters. We've had a few, sadly, pass away in the last 12 months. Um and we've got plaques. We're putting plaques up. We're speaking to families. We're doing whatever the families want because they've spent life supporting this football club. And it meant a lot to them. As you know, it meant a lot to Andy. And um, I got to watch, um, I was privileged to watch our last game last season alongside Andy when we lost 2 0 at St Albans. <laughs> but we had a fantastic season. He actually said, it was probably one of the best seasons in the 50 years he supported Farmer. Wow, it was brilliant. the best season that he had. So that, to me, um, I've got a couple of memories that I'm never, I'm never going to forget. Um, that there, um, when Andy said that, as a chairman, you think, wow, you know, we are doing something right. And then also when we won the playoff final last year, hmm. um, as a chairman, you sort of turn around. Me and Andy, actually, we had tears in our eyes. We hugged each other after the final whistle. <laughs> um, and then that's when you see, as a chairman, how much it means to supporters. Mm. And you think, after all the crap that we've had to deal with, um, that moment there and seeing all the supporters celebrate, that, it makes it worthwhile. Absolutely. It makes it worthwhile. Tell us a bit about the uh, T-shirts you're going to be selling special. Yeah. Andy's that, oh, yeah. Andy, well, he used to wear these all around. I mean, because he was off with the comedy store players around the world. Um, I think that's yeah. Baku. You've got a picture on the website. I could be wrong, but I know he went there. No, we've got some. We've got some in stock. I, basically, I hmm. spoke to the lady in the shop. I said, can, can we arrange some of these in the shop so that people can purchase them? Um, yeah. You know, we've got a few that we'll hand out to yourselves tomorrow. Um, it, it's a massive thing for Andy. He loved that T-shirt. He, um, I actually gave him when he became part of the commentary team with Ben. I actually gave them both some um, polo shirts with Farmer uh, radio on his sleeves, and but Andy loved his the uh, Bala T-shirt. Yeah, it's a simple and, um, yellow T-shirt with a kind of I think mm. he had it. I think he had it made up, or you sold them in the shop at one time. But it's just got Bara on the middle. When he, That's he, it. He it's just a circle, circle and it's just got Bara yeah. in the chest uh, across the chest, and we've got them in the shop tomorrow. We are um, going to be. Raffling one off um, for crisis, obviously, and uh, we've got some to sell. All the money raised on these T-shirts will go to crisis, along with everything else we've got. We've, and touching on that, if I can quickly say that crisis have been absolutely brilliant with us as well. They've set up a phone line. So if there is anybody that wants to donate that can't make the game tomorrow, mm. if they want to donate £2, they just simply text Andy to 7004. Yep. If they want to donate £5, they text Andy five to seven zero zero four, and if they want to donate ten pounds, text Andy ten 
to seven zero zero four. Uppercase, yeah, all uppercase. The yeah. way you normally uppercase, uppercase, yeah. all uppercase. Yeah, we'll and put then, that information. We'll put it all on there on our um, on our social media sites as well. So if people want to make a donation, they can uh, definitely. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and we've got um, we, we've got it on our website as well. So yeah. anybody can make donations if they can't do it today, tomorrow, and, or they might be able to yeah. do it next week. Because as you you and I know that Andy was it was a passion of his to help. Absolutely, every yeah. year, every year. Yeah, um, he used to turn up Boxing Day having spent Christmas night feeding the homeless. Um, that's the sort of caliber of the gentleman. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, um, he, he when he walked into a room, a sort of light came on. Mm. Um, he, he, you know, people were drawn to him because he, you know, the millions of stories that he had. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he just he brightened up every room that he went into. Mm. So. You know, well, that's we'll, why I think it's going to be a massive loss to us. Yeah, and we'll, yeah. we'll raise a glass to him tomorrow. We look forward to seeing you then, Simon. Thanks very much. No, definitely. Yeah, we, um, we'll raise a glass tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Take care. Okay, and we're just going to, can I just say that we're just going to have a minute's applause from Andy as well before the game. Will do. Okay. okay. Right. Cheers, Simon. Okay. Thanks very much. Care, Take care. Bye-bye. Simon Gardner there, the chairman of Farnborough FC. We'll put all the details. If you'd like to make a donation to Crisis in Andy's name. And, uh, yeah, we'll report back next week. They take on Wilsdon tomorrow uh, at their place. And it's a three o'clock kickoff if you can get along. Come and say hello. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Well, they're going to go through at least one more phase. The forwards, now they're almost walking pace. Now the drive comes on from Leicester. To go now. Where's Burns? Burns is in the pocket. Arms out. Ben Youngs, 20 seconds. Back to Freddie Burns with a drop goal. Get it up and underway. It's through the middle. Freddie Burns with a drop goal to win the Premiership. Yeah, and we were fortunate enough to be there that day. That was pretty dramatic stuff. Uh, we spoke to our next guest about it um, before, but he has kindly joined us in the studio once again. A regular fixture at Cheltenham over the years. Freddie Burns, how are you, Freddie? I'm good. I'm a, I'm a little bit more nervous today, boys, because I've normally had a couple of ciders at Cheltenham uh, as a loosener, so uh, I haven't got we can that. arrange it if you want. Yeah, I haven't got that today, so uh, no, it's great to be here, and thanks for having me on. You, you probably never tire of hearing that, do you? That, that moment, it's... Um, you, you see it in your mind's eye, you see it just there with a the ball in your hands, just about to drop it at your feet? Um, yeah, I mean, it's great when, whenever... It, I'm, I'm not one who plays it too much on my own, but... Uh, the occasions that it does get played, it can't help but bring a smile to my face. And yeah, it was, a, it was an unbelievable day that, to be honest with you, I still don't think it's properly uh, sunk in, even even all this time since it happened. So uh, it's great to hear it again. And I still love hearing the stories from supporters of where they were and what they were doing. So uh, yeah, real real special day. Yeah, It'd be nice to look back on when you when you get to my age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, last time we spoke to you, you were just off to to New Zealand. I mean, you played in Japan before. We know you were yeah. up for kind of playing overseas and you were off to New Zealand. But, um, I mean, unfortunately, from your point of view, you picked up a really nasty injury over there quite quickly, didn't you? Yeah. Um, made the difficult decision to, to depart Leicester early and uh, went down to represent the Highlanders in, in Super Rugby, which was an unbelievable opportunity. And, yeah, round, round three, I fractured my tibial plateau, which is oh. the top of your tibia, and sort of just... Best way to describe it is almost like um, like glass shattering a little bit. So it was like or, or cracking. So I had loads of little cracks in. in so was it, it was it something was like a proper impact injury? Is yeah. So I just yeah. got twisted twisted the wrong way. Um, saw a spot. I thought it was only just a little bit of a knock, and I'll be back in a week. But I had a scan and 
yeah, I was told that I'd be lucky if I got back before the end of the season and lucky enough the medical staff down there and um, probably the, the seawater and getting in that and, and doing what I can. Uh, managed to get back and, and play in the last sort of five, six games, which was which was a massive bonus. So a good, ex- I mean, a good experience. Of, I mean, apart from that, it's a pretty key part of it. But did you know? You, have you had a bit of a what what if moment about it? If that hadn't happened, it could have been different. Uh, I think you always do, especially yeah. when you're competitive. I, I went down there to play, contribute, and you know we missed out on on the quarterfinals, which was which was really disappointing. So yeah, you do have that. You know, it would have been nice if I hadn't got injured, but at the same time, you know, I got flown to the other side of the world to be paid to to play a sport I love and. And just taking a completely different culture, um, play against some of the world's best players, and you know I loved every minute of it. Looking back, what did you make of Japan when you were there? Exactly the same. Loved it. Um, I think uh, Japan came at a funny time in my career. Actually, I was I was ready to um, throw throw it all in really um, with my time at Bath, and the Japan deal came up, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to try it. Try something completely different, and you can't. You can't replace that cultural experience of just, you know, broadening your horizons. And again, as I said a minute ago, to be to be paid to play a game I love and to experience these different cultures, I think, you know, you, you've got to take it. And yeah, I'm so thankful I did. Well, you obviously, you, you enjoyed it so much. You're, you're prepared to go back and play there again. Yeah, so it got announced this morning I'm signing back for uh, Toyota Shockey, which is the team I was at. In the... You get a free car. <laughs> no, well, they, yeah, they they sort me out of a car, but it's not a good one. Um, but uh, no, yeah, I'm I'm going back, which is which is great. And to be honest with you, I just feel thankful in this current rugby climate. At yeah. 33, you know, they offered me a, a two year deal. Uh, there was a uh, an offer for me to stay at Leicester for an extra year, but I wanted that security of of two years, especially with the way the game's going in England at the minute. So mm. I feel extremely fortunate to take that, and can't wait to get out there. Yeah, the club game in England is struggling a bit, isn't it? Well, these are worrying times, aren't they? Uh, it really is. Um, I think the the club game is is on its knees. Um, how it gets put right, I don't quite know. Um, but it's such a shame, especially when the international product is is so strong at the minute and so good. And you see sort of nations like France, their club game is is thriving at the minute. And yeah, in England with the financial woes and you know talking to players in the game, um, I'm just I never thought I'd say this lads but I'm very happy that I'm 33 and not 23 cuz yeah. you know it's it's uncertain times for a lot of boys at the minute and big well established clubs finding themselves right up against it it's, it's this is not kind of new clubs or clubs that have maybe over the years have felt like they were a bit underfunded these are big teams aren't they yeah I think that's it I think you know especially um rugby being such a, a a small sport really in terms of professional teams um you know it's great to see the championship championship teams have just been announced into the Premiership Rugby Cup, which mm. which will start in September, so it's great that they get some exposure. Um, but it just shows the state of the game at the minute, where you know we're sort of trying to get fixtures in just to fill seats and, and keep clubs afloat. It's um yeah, it's, it's a real difficult, good difficult time. What sort of crowds you get out there, mm. Freddie, for the games? You get, I mean, cause we know the game with the sports popular, of course, but you get a um, decent turnout. Yeah, decent enough. You know, it's not. I was. I even said in an interview when I was out there, I was, I was a little bit underwhelmed from the crowd, to be honest with you. I thought it was, you know, you play in front of sort of five, six in a 30,000-seater stadium. Um, I expected a bit more. New Zealand's a bit different in the Southern Hemisphere because of, obviously, the geographical uh, difficulties of, you know, I, I played in Dunedin, bottom of the South Island, and, hmm. you know, the only team on the South Island is is the Crusaders, and that's still a, an eight-hour drive if you want to take it. So <laughs> um, that, that kind of lends its hands to it, but... Um, yeah, a little bit disappointed in in that sense. Um, but for me to tour, you know, I played I played the Crusaders in Melbourne, um, 
had a week in Sydney against the Waratahs, you know, just to have these experiences of, mm. of going to these places, seeing what it's like and, and playing there was great. But yeah, I think the club game is is, is struggling <clears> at the minute <throat> worldwide, not just in yeah. England. It's a World Cup year and obviously everybody... Only a couple of months now, isn't it, really? Not far English off. are hoping England will do OK, but they're not amongst the favourites, are they, at this stage? Nope, and I think it will suit Steve Borthwick and his team down to the ground. Yeah. Um, I really think there's there's two kind of dark horses for me and I can't believe I'm putting them in as a dark horse, but even, even New Zealand, the eyes have been off them. People have mm. sort of turned to France, Ireland, South Africa. Um, but England especially, I think, under Steve... You know, with Kev Simfield involved, Richard Wigglesworth there now, Alad Waters is head of performance. They'll be ready and I think they'll they've got a chance to, to catch a few teams cold, mm. especially with the draw as well. They've got a very lucky draw. Um still a tough draw, but one of the more favourable ones uh, in the pool stages. What do you make of the job that Steve I mean you you work with him at Leicester, so you know him mm. well. What have you made of the, the job he's done at England so far? It's been a pretty tough period, hasn't it? Yeah, it's a tough start. Um but I think when he first took over at Leicester it was a similar thing as well. The result, results don't just come. Um, he'll be laying in the foundations. And, and one thing I know about Steve is his diligence to a tactical master plan. You know, last year at Leicester, we won the league by being tactically smarter than every other team. So he'll be able to adapt and change that England squad um, depending on the teams they come up against. And yeah, I'm not saying England will go there and, and, and win it, but I think they might surprise a few people. Yeah. And what is it about, say so you're going back, and culturally it's a very different country, what is it about, what are you looking forward to, knowing you're going back now to Japan? Are there things about the Japanese culture and the lifestyle and the way you were living before that you're really looking forward to again? Um, yeah, I think the culture's great. I just, uh, you know, I, I was there during COVID as well, so I'm hoping to oh, okay. have a bit more of that, that cultural a more, experience. A bit more freedom. Yeah, yeah. Out a bit more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I'll be honest with you, um, it's more to have that security and, mm. and that sort of, financial stability for a couple of years it's easier on the body you know I've, I've played over 200 premiership games now and god knows how many games in total and you now you see the injuries and you know what people walk away from the sport carrying and at the minute i'm in pretty pretty good nick and i know it's a game of rugby and you're always pretty close to a, a big injury but going over there i'll play probably 10 12 games maximum yeah so it's a lot easier on the body and i can start sort of moving away from the game hopefully on my own terms. Yeah, I mean, they, they one of the other great things mm. that's been dominating rugby has been the concussion dementia crisis in the game. I mean, yeah, that's true. do you worry? Do you worry about that? Uh, no, not really. I think, well, of course, there's a slight worry, but I tell you now, the one sport I'd want to be in, if, if anything bad happened to me, would be would be rugby. And I think, I don't know if where the game's struggling a little bit now is, is rugby only ever makes the media for, for bad press. No mm. one really talks about the strong parts of the game, the great part of the game, the camaraderie. Um, you know, a good friend of mine, Ed Slater, has also recently been diagnosed with, with MND. Yeah. Um, and the community that rallies around him and looks after him is the community that I'd want. So uh, I love rugby for that. So I, I don't I don't worry too much. Um, so when do you set off uh, back to Japan? Uh, not till October. So okay. I got I got a bit of training to do. I, I need to I need to drop a bit of uh, a bit of weight just because. <laughs> It's it's not as physical over there, and I tell you what, if there's one thing the Japanese boys can do, and it's it's run. Mm. So I want to make sure that I'm not too far behind when I when I rock up uh, early September. So a few months trying to figure out a few things. It's it's quite a strange place for me to be, um, not having that day to day focus. But it's a good challenge, and I'll, I'll try and get my 
my, my fingers in different pies yeah. and, and work out a few things that I might want to do after rugby. And how, so, the, how are you with the language? Sorry, Paul. Yeah. Uh, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try, but it's no, very hard. It's right. It? It's, it is difficult. Yeah. We're lucky we get translators. So, the water boys are actually your translators. So, oh, okay. Uh, as the players talk on the pitch, I'll be getting whispers in my ear from the translator. And then, if I want to say something, they'll listen and the translator will. You'll be will firm when you come back. No, exactly, that's the plan. Yeah, again, yeah. COVID probably didn't help that because there wasn't as much interaction, I guess. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's going to make a difference to it. Yeah. And just finally, I mean, we had Steve Morrison in earlier on who went from player to coach and nothing, as as we were saying, has scratched that itch like the sport and being involved in the sport. What, what If this is your last couple of years in the game, what comes after this? Would you like to coach? Is that of interest or do you think you might walk away from it after that? It's such a tough question. I, I'd, I'd love to, I love talking about the game. I, I enjoy the media side of the mm. game. Um, I think you guys have got the the best the, the best gig. Just you know, <laughs> I know you work hard, but just talking about sport and mm. all, all that comes with it is is brilliant. So I, I'd love to go into the media side of things. I think okay. um, I'd like to coach, but those coaches put in some hours, and I think uh, I wouldn't mind just sort of it as more of a hobby than necessarily a, yeah. a, a, a full time job again. But that said, when that retirement day comes, if there's a coaching job up and I've got nothing on the uh, lined up then I might take it so yeah. I, I don't know I enjoy sort of trying to educate and impart what I know about mm. the game uh, I prefer doing it in a sort of media aspect but if coaching comes up I'd, I'd probably take it Good stuff Well Freddie good to see you again uh, hopefully we'll, we'll yeah. catch up with you before you leave maybe during the World Cup we'll have a chat um, if England are flying and uh, and yeah um, we'll, we'll catch up with you before you set we'll remind you what you said Yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah exactly England to win it is it Yeah no, that's no, I said it, it. Yeah. Cheers, Freddie. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. There we are. Former England uh, flyer, Freddie Burns. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Time then to look at some of the big stories uh, of the week in the company of the former Villa and Liverpool and England striker, Stan Collymore. Hi, Stan. How you doing? You well? Not too bad, thanks, Stan. There's no story bigger in the last 24 hours or so than Deli Alley's interview chat with uh, Gary Neville. I saw you took to social media yesterday and, and it sounds as if it was uh, triggering. You've you've had your own mental health struggles. You've been very open about it. And you you kind of felt a while back in a piece you did for uh, The Mirror that maybe there was something at the root of what was happening with Delhi's form. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote a, a big column, actually. I've, I've done it with several players and, and there are three Premier League players over the last five or six years that reached out to me and, and spoken about mental health because they didn't want to come out and particularly talk about it. And they just wanted to steer us to um, what they were feeling, what they could do and which direction they could go in. And I was more than happy to point them in that direction. Um, the thing is with Delhi, I wrote, I think it's about April 2022. And I said, if, if professional football with its unique set of circumstances, constant pressure, constant scrutiny, from news organisations, from just the sport that it is, it's it's hyper competitive. You are competing in the men's game with 24, 25 other men, day in, day out, week in and week out. Is that it can be very tough on your mental health anyway, without presenting any mental health issues. So I I I, I wrote a piece that was maybe you should consider retiring. And that sounded harsh at the time. I remember Frank Lampard in his post-match presence conference said, I went in too hard. There's nobody that has a better grasp and understanding of mental health in sport as I do. When I spoke out in 1998, I was vilified by supporters of other clubs, um, by news media, 
there was no social media to be able to say, this is what I'm going through. And I was in a psychiatric hospital for three or four weeks and still came back and played Premier League football. So there is no be body better to, to put some kind of framework around it. And I basically said, look, Delhi, if, you, if you're around and you need a coffee or you need a chat, give me a bell. Uh, he didn't. And he spoke, obviously, to, to Gary Neville. And wonderful to see Gary Neville and general media yesterday saying, we didn't know this. Fantastic that Delhi's talking about it. And the Everton Football Club, one of the best football clubs, Everton in the community is one of the, the oldest, if not the oldest in the community um, organisations that helps supporters, people in the city of Liverpool with their mental health. So he's well placed. But the things for me in the last 12 or 14 months that have been concerning is obviously first his form, which then creates more problems with the individual. Uh, should I get fitter? Should I go on loan? He went to Besiktas, which I thought was a really bad move. Mm. Whoever's advising him, if if they knew of these problems that he had, I think the last thing you should be doing is getting on a plane and going to a club, expecting that all of your problems are going to go away. I did that. I went from Liverpool to Aston Villa and thought, I'm going to go to the club that I supported as a kid. Everything will be great. Of course, all I did was transport my problems to Aston Villa and beyond. So it's been 14, 16 months since that, that article and he will have been going through the mill for 14 or 16 months and he looked like it he looked he spoke incredibly well uh, I did tweet yesterday that it was incredibly triggering for me because there were a lot of things there in my childhood that were very similar that were incredibly powerful and I just couldn't watch a lot of it at times some, at times it made me very anxious yesterday I hope he gets this help and support he needs beyond the sport and just like an Ash Barty or other players that said, you know what, I'm playing professional tennis, I'm playing professional this, I'm playing professional that. Once I get well, I might go on and do something else. Mm -hmm. And I think that we need to have the conversation that instead of going on this constant sort of, I'm going to go from club to club to club to club to try and scratch around and get some form, I think that sometimes there needs to be a conversation that if I get better and I still go back into this sport and it triggers a lot of the things that I've gone through um, in my childhood, am I best served going and doing something else? Mm. And I think that conversation is yet to be had in professional sport. I mean, yeah. he, from what he was saying yesterday, he, he feels like this is a, a kind of watershed moment for him, having dealt with these problems, having been open about them, that he maybe can go on and rediscover mm. some of that form that he had before. I thought the, the other interesting thing was that you just said, you know, you had all these issues going on, but you were still able to function at a very high level as a professional footballer. And he said, you know, a lot of people have been saying in the last 24 hours, why wasn't there more help available? Steve Morrison touched on it earlier on, people within the clubs that could maybe help, but he didn't want the help. He said he had the people he loved the most, his adopted family, crying, saying, Delhi, let us help you. And he said, there's nothing wrong, I'm fine. And he'd go mm -hmm. into training with a big smile on his face. Um, so and, until somebody wants help, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? It is, but I still think that in that in any at talk sport or at a newspaper or at a builder's merchant or wherever, if you see signs as a as a as a manager or as a line manager that something is blatantly not right with somebody, then that organisation and that um, that industry has a a, a a duty of a responsibility, a duty of care, mm. and I don't think it's as easy to say 
because I would go into training every day and have a big smile on my face and everything was okay. And then one day I spoke to my manager, John Gregory, who was Aston Villa. And I said, I need to go into hospital. Otherwise I don't think I'm going to make it till tomorrow. And for me, that was me holding my hands up in 1998 and almost starting the sort of mental conversation that's been had. And what sort of support did you get Stan, when you said that? None. John Gregory said, how can somebody earning X amount per week be depressed? Um, Doug Ellis, the, the very famous Aston Villa chairman, asked if I would like to be the maitre d' at his restaurant to give me a little bit of a lift. Um, the psychiatrist that I went to see at Aston Villa, a psychiatrist, bear in mind. And this is where there are still worries in football clubs, because as you know, Paul and Andy, doctors and physios still want to get players out to play. Mm. And I went to see a, a psychiatrist in Birmingham that was associated to the club. And he said, if you go out and, and uh, play against, I understand you're going to be playing against Fulham uh, at the weekend, go and get yourself a couple of goals and you may well feel better. That was the professional support that I received at the time. So in terms of 25 to 30 years on, Deli Ali. 12 or 14 months after I wrote an article saying, I can see the signs here. Hmm. Who's, who's, who else is speaking out? Is that in those 14 months, chaps, a lot can happen. We've seen situations like, Robert, I'm just looking at a, at, a, at a sports journalism award to my left, which the station won. We won at the station for a mental health special that we did. And we spoke to the friends and family of Robert Enker. And he took his own life. People like Clark Carlisle, incredibly erudite man, fantastic career as a professional footballer, being involved with the PFA, tried to take his life. Now, Delhi hasn't, but in, until football can identify in the dressing room people with mental health issues and problems, as well as they can with physical ones, mm -hmm. these issues are going to continue to, to come and we are going to lose more people. And for me... That's that's a non-negotiable. That cannot happen. So as much as Delhi speaking out yesterday was fantastic, I hope he he can use his platform now. He's got just over a million people on on um, Twitter, probably the same on on Instagram, to be able to talk about mental health issues. I think that the most important thing for Delhi Ali is to be in a happy position to be able to function as Delhi Ali for the rest of his life. Not an Everton midfielder, not a Besiktas midfielder, not a Spurs midfielder, not an England midfielder. Hopefully he can do that within the sport. But if he can't, that's a conversation that we now should be having within sport and without sport that people can say, I played until I was 25, needed to um, reverse ferret and, mm. I'm, and I'm now a mental health advocate. That is not the wrong thing. And so many football fans say, um, oh God, it's bottling it, it's throwing the towel in. One in three people listening to my voice now will struggle with a mental health issue. In a in a population of 70 million, that's 20 plus million. So we have to acknowledge that instead of this old British idea of pull your socks up, roll your sleeves up. No, I thought one of the key things was that he said that he, he sought help himself. That is a key, isn't it? You, you, if you can do that, if you find yourself in that position, because yeah. other people will advise you to do this and they'll advise you to do that. But it's like anything in life. You, you have to work these things out for yourself, I think. Yeah, and I think that, that the fact that he has is fantastic. I think that, that sort of it showed as well, going to somebody that was incredibly empathetic, that's worked with him in terms of Gary Neville, the England squad, 
and Gary's a, Gary's a sort of A class uh, sports broadcaster, uh, and I think that the more people that then watch that, they'll turn around because, of course, previous to that interview going out yesterday, the vast majority of chatter around Deli Ali was the Jose Mourinho mm. sitting him down, saying your career's you're going to be fifty before you know it. Um, you know, you're wasting your career kind of thing. And a lot of people that today are saying, crikey, I didn't realise that about Delhi." were the first people to pile in and retweet that video saying he was basically work shy and he wasn't committed to his his craft. And I think that, yes, you have to go out and, and put your hand up and say, this is what I'm going through, this is what I'm feeling. But I think the point I'm trying, the subtle point I'm trying to make, Andy, is, is that in a dressing room where we have lots of physios, where we have lots of doctors, where we have, have psychiatrists that are now involved with clubs, it's also their responsibility to see the signs as well. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Sometimes, Andy, you've been doing this a long time, but um, you were just standing out there in the gallery with a producer like watching the show. I'm thinking, is he planning to come in? It's strange. That was great, wasn't it? Anyway, um, it's the final hour on a Friday, which means clips of the week. Mike Ward with a bit of non-sporting tally, if we can find anything mm. fresh that isn't a repeat or tennis. Well, I know tennis will uh, be oh, yes. uh, certainly touched on now because he loves the game and, you know, been the bulk of the sport on the telly this week because it is sport on TV we cover now. Uh, the, the king of overnight, squad number nine, Martin Kellner. Good afternoon, Martin. God bless you. Good afternoon, boys. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've been watching Wimbledon. You're quite right. It means I've been missing a lot of Steph's packed lunch. Oh, dear. But that's not been <laughs> a real hardship. have to make har- sacrifices. <laughs> yeah, that's not been a real hardship, as I, I never watch it. So I had, to, I had I some do. interest. Andy watches it every day with his oh, missus, all the days he's not here. Steph's on holiday, my wife tells me, for about six weeks. Oh, is she? On. Oh, is she? Who's packed right. lunch? Goodness. Who's packed lunch, is it, instead? Nobody. Nobody's packed lunch. No packed lunch. No packed lunch. lunch. Well, they just can have in school dinners instead, (laughs) I think so. Anyway, Anyway, sorry, Martin, yeah. Yeah, so I have been watching Wimbledon. I mean, my thoughts on Wimbledon, um, what if it wasn't on the BBC? It's been on the BBC for so long, and we always think, you know, this is the BBC's sport, Wimbledon. Mm. You know, it's been there. It's like an institution. Uh, I'd like to see it go somewhere else. I really would. Really? There's such a lot of filler. There is... I saw a patronising feature on uh, sustainability at Wimbledon. I think they're just so sort of hand in hand. We know, we know all the controversies about, uh, you know, about starting late and matches being curfewed at 11 o'clock, whereas, you know, the French Open, you, you watch them all night. I mean, all right, they are an hour ahead of us. So, you know, you can be watching at one o'clock in the morning. But the point is, because I, I just feel that Wimbledon, the tournament is hand in hand with Wimbledon, the BBC coverage. Mm. So I watched this very passionizing feature about sustainability, which basically all it said is you can refill your water bottles at Wimbledon. <laughs> really brilliant. And, and reuse, your, reuse your coffee cups. Mm. Then there was another feature I saw today about sniffer dogs. Yeah. Well, I know Claire Balding loves dogs. God bless her. And they are beautiful. They are beautiful (laughs) creatures, uh, etc. But, you know, I don't switch on a sporting event to see, you know, a feature on on dogs, really. We're on slightly Um, rocky ground. We just did five minutes on butterflies with Chris Patton. He did talk about Southampton, but but we we were... I'll tell you what's interesting, though, Martin. I don't know if you saw (laughs) Tim Hemman's... 
chat this week where he was talking about this, about the idea that it wouldn't always be on the BBC necessarily. Yeah. And I said to well, Paul... Because they the want time, to pay for a new show call. Basically, they, maybe they're just trying to screw a bit more money out the BBC. But I think, um, I don't I know, think it would kill yeah. the tournament. You saw what happened to Test Cricket. You know, it's taken a long time for Test Cricket to kind of recover its position, yeah. you know, and they've had to give, you know, make sure that they've got highlights on I mean, terrestrial. really, most tennis, sort of apart from Wimbledon, uh, Martin, isn't on the BBC, is Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's on, it's on uh, Eurovision, or at least I watch it on Eurovision. Eurosport, yeah. Eurosport, sorry, Eurosport. Yeah. Eurovision's a different <laughs> thing. It's a singing contest, isn't I'd it? Have to, I'd love Graham uh, Norton to commentate on the tennis, though. It'd, <laughs> yes. it'd be quite interesting, yeah. No, it's on Euro- I mean, you know how much I love yeah. game <laughs> Shet and Mats. Yes. Uh, you know, with, <laughs> with uh, yeah. Barbara Shet and Mats Verlander mm-hmm. and everything. And Tim Hemman, I think, is a good pundit, and he's on uh, Eurosport as well, yeah. as is uh, Annabelle Croft. So some of the same pundits are there. But there is such a lot of filler on the BBC because it is their big thing. So and by filler, I include mixed doubles. You show me one person who cares who the hell wins the mixed doubles. <laughs> I, you know, I really... The final yeah, was on let, a Thursday, I'm, wasn't it? It wasn't even on the weekend. It was quite... Who yeah. won, Martin? You I'm, don't know. You didn't no watch it. idea. I didn't watch it. I mean, unless uh, I was watching Taxi Driver on Sky Greats but um, so <laughs> well that's a bit of a gear a, change a, isn't it even I, I like, like, like Mansour Barami I'd like to see more of him he's very is amusing. he still playing oh, he's still oh, there. is he really well he can't be can he he's about 67 but I think he's still, okay. he's still got Fair it enough. oh god bless him um, yeah so uh, yeah mixed doubles are including that and then you get all the shots of the royal box you know you mm. can watch the French Open without you know without seeing who's in the, the royal box or whatever the French equivalent is Macron's box or whatever but you, you know the, you see so you see the royal box and half the people I don't even know I mean obviously I recognise Trevor MacDonald and I recognise Cliff Richard who you know mercifully didn't sing this year but um, you you know you recognise actually now bless him Sir Cliff yeah. Well, but, the roof's um, done for that, isn't he? He's never going to sing again, really. Because well, no, he, I think that's yeah, happened. That's now, true. He, he, I mean, he might take a you know match. He could to, sing on court. He might take a match to the roof one year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Great Revenge. You burnt down Wimbledon. <laughs> it was Cliff because he wanted to sing uh, some holiday. Congratulations! Again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also, I tell you what, another thing that gets me about Wimbledon is three commentators. Mm. So you're watching. Uh, you've got John McEnroe, Tim Henman, and Andrew Castle. And let's be honest, there's not a lot to... We used to get away with... There was a guy called Dan Maskell years ago. Oh, yeah, brilliant commentator. He'd led a rally. The rally would play through. And obviously, you know, you don't talk during the rally unless you're commentating on the radio, which is very tough. But on the telly, you let the rally play through. And then he would give a little pause and then he'd say, oh, my word. And that was all you needed to say. You know, you didn't really. And and the stuff that uh, John McEnroe, Tim Hemmer and Andrew Castle do, it's just chit-chat. It's just chit chat, and you've got uh, you know you've got John McEnroe, who in his time was the greatest player in the world. You've got Tim Henman, six-time semi-finalist, and then you've got Andrew Castle, who you know was a decent tennis player, but no higher than world number eighty. Mm. So um, I can't see. So they start sort of talking about their careers, and I always feel Andrew Castle is a little bit. Um, a little bit constrained, you know, when you talk mm. about careers, because like I say, decent tennis player, but got no higher than 80 in the world. And you stick him in there with the best in the world ever in his day. Yeah. And, um, you know, and somebody was a six time semi finalist. So, uh, you know, I'm maybe they just need to think it through a bit more the BBC maybe it needs to be uh, the times the times need to be you need to finish a match for a start as Mm, uh, as we know from Andy Murray this year Uh, you need to do that 
I'm not that bothered about uh, mixed doubles. Or I mean, some people will be interested, but to me, that is a minority sport. That is like putting speedway on in the middle of the afternoon. Or oh, don't start no. the old speedway lobby that we get stuck into you, Martin. <laughs> now you know what I mean. Yeah, it's niche, niche. We, we want to talk about another BBC. We often say BBC Scotland do produce some oh, very good sport, sporting documentaries. There's an old, mm. old long line of them we've talked about in this slot, uh, and one of the latest ones. It involves one of the legendary commentators of the world of Scottish football, Archie McPherson. Yeah, I mean, the, the programme's called Icons of Football, and it covers people like uh, Richard Goff and Charlie Nicholas and people, you know, who are playing icons. Very rarely do you get someone who's, uh, who's a broadcaster included as an icon of football. But in Scotland, Archie McPherson, you know, as they say on the programme, for more than 60 years, Archie McPherson was the voice of Scottish football. Mm. If it happened in <coughs> Scottish football, Archie was there to, uh, to see it. Brought up in the east end of, uh, of Glasgow, Shettleston, uh, and he was a teacher for a while, actually. He made his BBC Sport um, debut on the 27th of October, 1962. Now, the significance of that date is the world was on the brink of Armageddon. Oh. He tells the story in the programme because that was the Cuban Missile Crisis, if you remember. I mean, well, you won't remember, uh, no, Paul, but Andy, mm. you might remember. Uh, you'd have been very little at the mm. time, uh, you know, as I was. But I do remember at school, we all thought, you know, the world could end on that particular day, 27th of October, 1962. Really? And as uh, Archie McPherson tells the story, as the world prepared for uh, Armageddon, he was covering, covering Hamilton Ackies against Stenhouse <laughs> Muir. That was that was his priorities, right? That was his debut. That could have been the last um, thing he ever saw. Yeah. Yeah, precisely, yeah. precisely. Yeah. Hamilton Ackies versus Stenhouse Muir. Um, but you know, glory days for Archie McPherson because obviously he covered Celtic winning the European Cup, uh, Rangers winning the Cup Winners' Cup. So uh, you know, he followed Scottish teams in Europe. Um, which people do nowadays, but not that often, apart from Rangers, actually, in the Europa Conference League. But, the, you know, mm. they follow the Europa League. He, he, follows, he followed teams through Europe uh, right to the final. Mm. Um, and um, uh, formed friendships, great friendships with Jock Steen and uh, Alex Ferguson. And just to give you an idea, the, I know we're running out of time, but just to give you an idea of um, sometimes the atmosphere in uh, Scottish football. Apparently, Jock Steen, he tells this story as well, rang up, the, um, rang up BBC in Glasgow and said, I want to speak to an engineer. The colour register isn't working on my uh, TV. <laughs> and it was, uh, it, it was uh, Archie McPherson who answered the phone. Wow. And he said, uh, how do you mean you, the colour's not working? And uh, Jock Steen said, well, it doesn't show up your blue nose, <laughs> which is, you know, which is how Beautiful. it works. As, as anybody who follows Scottish football will know, that's exactly how it works. Oh, that's very good. And he also had a little cameo in train spotting, didn't he? A little yes, commentary moment. Yeah. They yeah, used the uh, Archie Gemmell. Archie Gemmell, didn't he? Yeah, he did yeah. Eurosport for Then years, he went to Eurosport after yeah. BBC Scotland. Well, I'll yeah. go and check that out, as I often do. They're always good. I say, oh, you're out BBC it? Scotland. Keep producing these great football documentaries. Yeah, definitely. So many. Anyway, um, Martin, you yeah. back overnight tonight? Back overnight. Don't ask me what's in the show. Okay, I won't. Uh, I'm sure it'll be brilliant, though. Uh, <laughs> King of overnight. Mass can't walk the streets of Kuala Lumpur, as we've said before. Mobbed everywhere he goes. Uh, he's here extra time, 1am to 6am overnight tonight and tomorrow. Cheers, Martin. Cheers, boys. The Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Well, there we are. That's how it all unfolded this afternoon on the show. We'll return on Monday. 
Uh, Post-Wimbledon, there'll be plenty of football to start building up to, I'm sure. We've yeah, got good. lots of pre-season friendlies in the far-flung corners of the world to be chatting about next week. Lots of transfer news and more. So we'll catch up with you on Monday from 1. Do hope you can join us then. If not, podcasts will be available, as always, at around 4. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to the Hawksby and Jacobs Daily Podcast. Hear the guys every weekday between 1 and 4pm on TalkSport. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.